0: Jason Stevenson needs very little introduction. Or perhaps he's best introduced as JS or JS Industries, the tractor logo surfboard brand. He sits very near the top of the heap of shortboard surfboard manufacturers worldwide. Among his list of notable team riders are Joel Parkinson for nearly his entire career, Julian Wilson, Sally Fitzgibbons, Aki, Ryan Callanan, Mikey Wright, Ace Bucken, Jeremy Flores, Dusty Payne, and plenty of up and comers from around the Gold Coast. We spend a portion of this conversation covering Jason's origin story, him growing up on the wave rich, but economically limited North Stratabrook Island, his entry into board building and the factors that led to his success. And then we close out with his opinions on a few hot topics in surfing, what Julian will need to clinch his first world title, all that stuff. Uh, This conversation, by the way, was recorded in Australia in my high-rise hotel room overlooking Greenmount. I owe a thanks to Shapers, the board builder distribution company, for hosting me and playing tour guide for those few days while I was on the Gold Coast. So thank you, Jake. And without further ado, I'm David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Jason Stevenson of JS Industries.
1: North Stradbroke Island. North North Stradbroke Island. Uh, Twenty, born and bred there. Twenty-three years. I think Mm. it was twenty-three when I first left. Yeah.
0: Were there any board builders out there?
1: No. Okay. It was a mining town, so my old man was a machine operator, and yeah, he had a had a job in the mines there. Okay. Um, that was my early earliest memories. Um. I think I started surfing there when I was five. There was probably, I think back then, there was maybe a handful of guys. Um, Russell Speck and Wayne Kissick come to mind. They were two local legends back in, like That was, so I was born in 71, okay. so 76, you know, those mid-70s. There was no one in the water. Wow. Um, and Yeah, there's some pretty good waves there. Yeah. So were um, yeah. you
0: planning to become... A miner as well, or no, work in that
1: industry? No, um, not at all. You were looking to get off the island. I was no. Well, <laughs> I was my. Uh, I remember thinking, as a te- young teenager, just went. I'm never going to leave this place. I'm never going. I don't want to work. I don't want a job. Back then, there wasn't much. I mean, outside of um, mining, there was uh, Russell Speck. Then was a builder, so there was like, you know, bits and pieces to do first my first job was actually um I was a brick a brickies labourer mm. uh, and he wanted to take me on and as an apprentice so I think I was doing that for maybe 12 months maybe 18 months and I was like there's there's no way probably of all the jobs to start here like when I left first left school my mum was like if you as soon as you leave school you're out of here you're not staying on this island to do nothing and I'm like yeah well yeah I am I'm staying here all I want to do is surf (laughs) so I am staying here and uh, yeah I got a job as a a brickie slaver and then was going to be and he wanted me to be his apprentice and um after doing that I was like that's probably one of the harder jobs you know or trades you can do sure um and I just went there's no way that I'm going to do something like this uh, my whole life and uh yeah i just tried to stay on that island as long as i could and do as little as i could um and just surf all i wanted to do was be a surfer
0: what was your mom's
1: ambition for you um i don't know get me off the island that was probably her high priority she was a uh, chef she'd become a chef and my mild man had left uh, at an earlier age and he went and pursued his mining he went and worked in mines and stuff all over australia and ended up buying his own machinery and stuff like that. I don't think he could handle staying on that island either. Um, but, yeah, so mum was pretty secure with what she was doing, being a chef at the ho- on the only hotel on the island. Um, and I, yeah...
0: She just wanted options for you, basically. Yeah,
1: and I don't think she knew what those were. They were just... And because they'd separated and he was down here owning his own... had his own machinery and she was there, she was like, well best option for you is to get off here um and go down there with him so i was pretty young then i probably would have been my mid-teens and i was like pretty um entrenched in island life so coming leaving the island and coming down to the he was living on the gold coast at the time with um his work and i was just like nah i can't do this either so i ended up going back i think i stayed i was probably 18 years old when i went back to the island um and then I started working for Russell Speck and those guys in the building trade. Stayed there another five years, um, and then let, and then went. I can't, you know. Once I think once you get to those twenties and stuff, you're like, okay, what am I going to do with my life? And I remember hustling. I came down here, had no job, had nothing, and um, was the only people that I knew was like I'd been riding Murray Burton's boards, pipe dream um and darren hanley so the only kind of guys i knew with anything that i was into was those guys and i was down in murray's little factory down south tweed hustling him probably every couple of days and i think my persistence paid off Mm -hmm. i became this annoying person that would just be there every day and uh hustling him for work so it ended up working out for me because i ended up taking a job his son was just starting shaping and they needed someone he was a young shaper so they were like okay you're a young guy you can start laminating and and just doing stuff around the factory
0: did you have any board building experience at all at that point on whatsoever okay.
1: you just knew i want to be around
0: surfing and this is an opportunity to earn a little bit of money
1: well i don't i yeah I did, because actually, because when I first did come down, the first time I'd started to, I went to a, a university or TAFE, that they call it here, and started doing, um, I was going to be a chef. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to be, I was just through, I'd, I'd always worked on the island with my mother being a chef. I'd always worked in the kitchens there. Um, and I'd come down here and went, okay, I can, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm, cooking like being a chef I had to look after myself pretty much and my younger brother when we were living on there so I was always pretty self-sufficient so I was like yeah I'll be I can do this and well that was like in the earlier days and but the next time I came down I just knew only board builder guys and surfers and and it was all about surfing so going into a factory was probably the easiest thing because I've always been and seen Murray to get boards and and you know talk boards with Darren or whatever and Uh, Yeah, I ended up laminating for Murray's son his boards, Um, and then I took on the role of cutting. Back then, there were profile machines. Didn't know such thing as what we have today, and I was cutting, yeah, cutting boards and making curves and doing all of that sort of stuff. Um, So, working with the actual software, no software. There's no software back then. Really? Profile machine was a basic metal frame and you would pretty much take the stringer out of whatever design those guys had at that time. And then I would go and take that st- stringer, nail it to a piece of timber, cut the bottom curve, cut the top curve. Um, we'd made these cradles, which would cut a roll um, and a concave in. So very prim, that like-
0: I have seen this though, yeah, now that you say it. Yeah, yeah.
1: So, we called them they were profile machines back then, okay. um, and I kind of made I got taught by another guy who worked there. Ken Remers was a great shaper, um, who probably taught me most of my shaping skills, but uh, I was the guy who would make all that curves and all do all that stuff from back then, um, which taught me a lot as well, yeah, yeah, I imagine yeah, so yeah, I got to learn a lot in those early days, but yeah, lucky, you know. I was fortunate enough to have Murray um, give me a job. Not that he paid, <laughs> not that I could survive on what he paid me. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, just a typical tight ass shaver. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, that's what where it kind of started.
0: I'll come back to the kind of timeline, but yep. I'm curious: um, Do you have young kids coming by the factory nowadays asking to start out like you did?
1: Not really. No.
0: I've heard that across the world.
1: No. No one. No one had like I'm, my son's 17 going on 18 and he's one of the few young guys that you know and probably because of what i do and who i am and stuff like that it's probably been his he's always surfed and stuff but you don't not yeah you don't get really anyone no one walking going i want to be i want to work in surfboards
0: and i'll do it for virtually nothing yeah you know like kids won't do it for nothing nowadays uh, so it's a problem, though, yeah. because um, there's nobody to backfill the labour force, No, of not at all. It's crazy. I
1: mean, in the industry here, um, and, and it's probably the same around the world, like we, Gold Coast is probably one of the most saturated coastlines, like for however, you know, in this 50K radius, there's probably, I don't know, 60 board builders, maybe more, um, of varying sizes. And between the DHDs, JS, um, Mayhem and Pizel and that have got a little, you know, they've got a little Australian ball building base now and everyone's taking from this same pool. So, it, which is, you know, it's really tough in some senses. Um, but at the same time, it's the opportunity for guys who work within the surfboard industry, if they're not happy or, you know, to get a job somewhere else pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But it's a very small pool.
0: They're all, you're right, all those brands are competing for the same market, yep. but they're also all shortboard builders too. Yep. You know, that's the other thing. That's Even though there's the, 60, it's yep. all the same, yep. white,
1: yep. That's you know, pointy right. shortboards. That's right. Which is kind of crazy. Um, Yeah, so, you know. And of all the, right now you've probably got, you know, Darren and myself and um, maybe the maybe the lost paisel team that they have. There's probably oh, and there's another guy, a couple of guys at South Tweed. There's probably you know maybe on counted on one hand the actual really good guys. You know every one of us has a handful of really good craftsmen. Yeah, you know, um, and those guys pretty much stayed there. And then then there's Uh, you know, from the rest of the pool floating around and they're all chopping and changing and trying to get their best deal.
0: The other thing I see is people who do come into the industry, let's say the kids who actually are interested, they're interested in being surfboard shapers. Yeah. How many of them come in and they want to laminate or sand?
1: No. None, right? None, none, none. We have, um, we've got a bit of a, like, let's say, an exchange student program where we've, you know, Uh, Japanese guys and um, you know we've um, some Brazilian guys just guys who want to come and live in Australia Um, they're the majority of guys who come to us uh, and want to and will take and work whatever you know so um, they're they're the guys who become the laminators and uh, sanders and stuff like that because they want to live in Australia they've built boards of some degree in some other country um so they've got a little bit of skill and they're the ones that are happy the aussie kids who come in they just go i want to be a shaper and i mean even a lot of guys do like from this board building industry that we have here in australia a lot of guys go i'm a shaper i like they've pretty much been they can do everything Um, But they go for the shaping job first and when they – when you, I think they're quietly shocked when they do have to turn around and, you know, produce a board for someone like myself or Darren or, or, you know, of a certain level. I think they realise that they're out of their league. They're the ones who fall back and go, well, you know what, I can laminate and sand and they're actually really good. They're the guys who are actually a really good laminator or a really good sander because they've been building their own boards um for 25 years and the quality that those guys are are what we're looking for in that department but the young kids just go yeah i want to be a shaper and uh, you know they just can't do it
0: but this is the lesson that is worth discussing and for people to listen to is that you start at the bottom you work hard for nothing for a long period of time and then eventually you have the skill set to actually do the, the real job or the full job and If you're not willing to do that, there's these other guys coming over from other countries oftentimes who yep. are willing to do yep. it because it's a great opportunity yep. for them based on where they're yeah come that's from right because i mean we
1: we um like when they let's say a position comes up in in lemonade anywhere uh in in our business and we put it out through pretty much the industry uh you, you know the the material suppliers are the one guys who who everyone walks into at some stage into those shops to buy a blank to buy stuff and so there's always a, you know some kind of sign up or word of mouth going you know there's a job at Js or a job at DH and um, you know there yeah it's just and you you don't get Australian guys coming to you you know we, we rarely get an Aussie guy come to us um, because they're Pretty much, like I said, it's a very small manufacturing pool, and they're mainly already in some position, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, let's get back to the timeline. Uh, You and Darren both, I think, were working at Pipe Dream together. Correct. And then he kind of left out on his own, and it gave you a path to follow, essentially. Yep. One thing I'm interested in uh, that we'll kind of come back to a number of times in this conversation is just how to successfully scale a business so you leave you're starting off small you probably have limited resources i know luke egan had just finished second in the world didn't have a board sponsor you link up with him i'm curious for you as a guy who's just starting out with limited resource what is that value proposition (coughs) are you obligated to when at the time did you just say i'm going to build this number of boards for you a year are you giving them to him for free are you allocating a salary to him and then also, how do you quantify a return on that investment? Because that's probably a huge commitment for you.
1: You know, in those, when I first left um, under the DHD um, umbrella, I was working. There was a, at that time, there was a little crew who had also parted ways through whatever reasons from uh, Darren and, and the, the company that he was involved within the glassing. So like a glass or a sander, um a couple of glass, a few guys that were doing their own stuff and that's where I first when I left I was first getting my stuff laminated. Now there was something the guy who owned that had some something go wrong or something had happened financially and he had to pretty much fold up. So I ended up with those those workers. Okay. Um so there was myself shaping I had one laminator, um, one sander and my brother at the time was in there doing fin- like fins and finishing and stuff like that. So there was a small team and we could build um, pretty much as many boards as I could shape a week. Oh. They could finish. So it was pretty much about 40 to 50 boards a week. Um, I'd had a little, you know, the local few bit of local support, I had some... A, a contract with some a japanese company um and that's how i first started and when someone like luke egan comes along like i'm not i'm not wasn't business guy i was shaper guy so someone like luke egan comes along. first of all it was like uh probably a little bit out of my league i'm not you know i was making boards dean morrison and the local guys and getting a feel for all this um and someone like luke comes along and you're like oh hang on you're number two in the world and you're going for world titles i don't know that i'm he's like and i would known luke through darren and and for years and obviously growing up being a goofy footer too it was like you know this guy's on a pedestal and he's kind of like my idol and all this sort of stuff as a surfer mm-hmm. so when luke egan comes into you and goes make me bores, you're like I don't know about this and then he's like no you'll be right. just do it let's make some and there's no your question was about you know you know dollars and cents return and return on investment and that and you've got no idea you know I had no idea I wasn't even thinking about that I was just thinking about whether I could make this guy boards um, as it turned out I could so um, and the, you know the one thing that was I was probably lucky and my you know my timing and and a lot of things worked out for me with um, my business growing organically not it didn't grow too fast and back then there was you know I had luckily had built my own factory and I built it probably bigger than what was necessary because my mate was a builder and I had a few friends and so i I took a space that was you know all those all that sort of stuff was even a bit daunting because i'm like well i'm taking this factory like i'm building a factory and i'm like i got no idea how this is going to turn out and i kind of just backed myself i guess you know i knew that i've been a surfer my whole life my brother who i grew up with joel who's two years younger than me he was a really good surfer you know so both of us have surfed um I knew my boards went. You know, I got Dean Morrison and Jay Phillips and all the DHD crew who were riding for him, who were coming and getting boards off me, and I'm like, well, I know that I'm doing something right. I already had the, you know, the skills obviously that I'd learnt from the Murrays and the, you know, all those guys at the time. So, kind of just backed myself that the boards went. Didn't really know what my market was, where my market was. Had a couple of local stores. Had a little deal with Japan and. Um, so that was ticking over, um, and then Luke Egan comes on the scene and it kind of grew, but I had enough manufacturing base to handle that growth. It went yeah. from 40 to 80 boards. Okay. Um, and then, you know, with having someone like Luke along walks in, Andy Irons, Bruce Irons, Sonny Garcia, uh, you know, a pretty big international because they're seeing Luke, changed to a young guy who no one really knew about and and he's still in the hunt for a world title or titles for years him and andy you know so and then yeah
0: well i appreciate your humility with saying like i'm not a businessman and i'm worried about the just making the boards go yeah but the reality is we've seen a long long list of good shapers who know how to build boards who run their businesses into the ground. Yeah, You know, and they can get a, get boards to that pro surfer for a period of time, yep. but five years down the road, they can't afford to pay their blank supplier or their fin yep. company or whatever. And so they just can't, they run their business into the ground. So you have successfully navigated a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I'm sure there's been missteps and we'll talk about yeah. some of that too, but cause that's equally interesting. Um, but I think organic growth is kind of the key, and you nailed yeah. that. It's just like doesn't grow too fast, yeah. grows just enough so you have money to grow the business, but yeah. not enough to go squander and buy
1: yeah. a house right on the water. You well, know? I was I'm pretty um, I don't know uh, like I think growing up on where I grew up and how I grew up and stuff like that has definitely kept kept me grounded. Good, um, and I'm I was always on the always aired on the side of caution with everything i was always i was more concerned about making sure that i had enough work for my boys in the factory and like that was my main concern was you know taking on the responsibility of all these mouths you know these mouths to feed and all these people who now are starting it. so i was always very cautious and conscious and every cent that i had um was in that you know in that business so Know my, you know, I would take out, you know, the uh, whatever I needed to live, and back then it was pretty humble, mm-hmm. um, you know, pay my rent, my food, and and whatever. So, I didn't start, I didn't get ahead of myself. I definitely, and I kept making sure, you know, I kept um, any money that I had, I invest. I, you know, if I needed to, like as, i it got bigger, I, and obviously having that factory. I went and built a mezzanine and then went and built another glassing bay and another set so i kept adding to that one little factory you know as much as i i could um to keep building the boards that as it as it kept growing and growing and you know i um i upset a lot of uh people in those early like like getting supply i could never supply the market you know, there was always people ringing and yelling and blowing up about where's my boards. And um, there was, it got, so you know, there was more orders coming in that I could make. So good. that was, which is healthy, you know, and obviously under supplying, you know, the demand was outstripping the supply. So that's pretty good.
0: Yeah, that's exactly. Um,
1: but, you know, like I said, I never, never got away and, you know, never got ahead of myself. And, um, my company has been and as you said a lot of guys have and a lot of companies who have been on this same trajectory as what i was um and even still some of those names around have had been up and down you know they have had failed businesses and luckily they've been able to pick themselves up and 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 get going again but i mean my i've always it's all been self-funded there's never ever been any outside help me i've never um yeah it's all been my money um i didn't even know what freaking an overdraft was or anything like that to for god so many years you know yeah. before i knew that there is actually some other way of doing this as well good so yeah uh
0: when did you first meet joel
1: he was uh geez i wouldn't even know First time was just as surfers. We used to have on Stradbroke Island, there was like a Stratty Salt where all the board riders' clubs would come, or um, the, you know, every up and down from Sunshine Coast to Byron and Ballina. So there was this big teams event. And so I got to meet a lot of the guys, a lot of the young, hot guys that surfed on this side of the coast um, that once a year. So I would have first known and met Joel back then. Um, but I... Joel uh you know, coming on as a team writer. I can't even tell you what year it was. It's been a long, you know, it's been a while. There's other people out there who probably go, you know, he wrote a JS at – he started writing JS at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was probably only a few years after Luke. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, such a talent, you know. I mean, like,
0: what an opportunity. You yeah. see a young guy like that yeah. coming along, I mean, that is – gold yeah. to be able to work with somebody like
1: that well joel himself joel himself was um say same, like same like luke he come comes along at a point where he's all of a sudden and at a young age too fighting out like number two in the world for yeah you know since he was what did he come on he got on tour when he's 18. i reckon his early 20s 1999. 99 for him so i reckon and 99 was when i first started my business um luke was there probably maybe a year two years after dean morrison first then luke then joel um and you know we're all we're all mates like Dean still rides my boards now yeah um louie lives in sydney i don't see him that much but um i saw him at the airport when <laughs> <calling>. <laughs> yeah i just went to his 50th actually so oh. Um, you know, but we're all still mates, and we've all the whole team you know even like Andy and Bruce and everyone were all were're all good mates it wasn't just building boards and you're you're a you know you're a pro surfer I'm a shaper he yeah his board's that like we've traveled the world together all of us, so I think you know those that, that gelling and connection and some of the trips that we all did and yeah it's just um been pretty easy you know but um you know back to joel it's like he i don't even know how long it's been now he's just retired i've seen him nearly at the start of his career and he's been riding my boards for i don't know 10 10 years more yeah oh
0: yeah
1: couldn't even tell you
0: um one thing maurice cole said to me on the podcast that i think about everyone kind of uh it's an interesting thought was when you look at the most successful relationships, uh, surfboard shaper relationships in terms of winning titles, it's people who have worked together for a decade or so. Yeah, And not only that, but it's oftentimes a shaper who almost solely works with one pro surfer rather mm-hmm. than having a team of 10 guys. It's um, John John and Piesel, Piesel you know, yeah. Piesel doesn't yeah. have a huge team.
1: Yeah, Um, I suppose I, I was, most of us shapers, but we've been in nowadays like i know darren when he was like we were shaping 40 50 60 boards a week you know so as the technology you know that was with profile machines and as um machines came into it the ability for a shaper like us um you know the darrens and and ours or whoever um you're able to produce you're able to shape put in a lot of hours and so you can like my team, it wasn't just Joel. Like you're looking at Luke's and Joel's and Andy's and Bruce's and and those guys. So there was a lot of guys that I was making boards for, and they were all on their own path Like Dean Morrison qualifying um, for the CT, um, and then having Luke in a hunt for world titles, and then Joel in hunt for world titles, and I was having multiple guys in you know in all these positions and. It was really good yeah you know i was really busy really interested um and in trying to get them all to their goals you know and then i mean bruce irons coming to me before he was even um on the ct qualifying for the qs and making boards for his q you know so i had a pretty substantial you know there was a lot of guys yeah. um all wanting their own goals so uh, it was pretty yeah it's pretty full on
0: totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. How do you feel about things like stab in the dark? Um, you know, it seems to be a valuable entertainment thing for yeah. us to watch. It's, yeah. it's entertaining to watch. Yeah. But I do consider the position of the shaper too, where it's kind of like, you give a board to these people and it might get rid of in the sh- crappiest conditions. It might break right away. Yeah. It might, for whatever reason, the surfer might just not like it. And it-
1: Yeah, it's, I've been in it every year and I've had, you know, success in this, like first year I made a board. I think Julian broke it. it was North Point, four waves. I um, mean, even this year, we because it was about tech and stuff like that. So we played around with making something for Mick Fanning and that it broke pretty much straight away. So it's like, wow, this could really hurt you. Um, but I don't know, you know, other years it's been, it's, I don't know, I don't know how to, It it's, it's good and it's challenging, I suppose, but like you said, it can be, I know that some other shapers have said I'm steering way clear of this because yeah. it's just not worth, you know, it could cruel me. Cause it, and as a whole, if people are narrow-minded about it, I suppose it's pretty bad. Um, you know, you could look at what happened to us this year and go, well, that doesn't work. But... Um, I know i see so many you know outside of that stab in the dark thing i see so many people who ride that same product that we did for Mick and just go on this these, these are the best boards i've ever ridden in my life mm-hmm. so um entertainment value well, yeah can be a little bit as we're thinking a little bit uh crawling like you said couldn't yeah. go out ride it in two foot i mean our board got ridden in eight foot typhoon surf and just cracked it straight away um and then other conditions it was beautiful pristine little three four footers yeah. so you know it's a tough one um but i i like the concept you do yeah i, okay. I do i go i i do because I, I think it's a good challenge and i think you know every anyone any of those one guys who have gone and um you know like hayden shapes got crucified by geordie one year yeah. and he's he's you just pick yourself up and I know that he came up and he bought Geordie some boards and I know no one kind of sees this sort of stuff but Geordie was on the coast and um, Hayden come up and bought Geordie a bunch of boards and Geordie went out there and was tearing the bag out of it, yeah. you know, so um, you just – dust it off, pick it up, and have a crack next year.
0: And Hayden did.
1: And he did. He came back and yep. contributed. Yeah, and you just, yeah, you know, if you're going to let something like that get you down and go and bury yourself, your head in the sand and go, well, you know, mobile life's over. Um, yeah. I yeah.
0: I guess my other issue with the concept is that um, I'm not sure that it's even a valid concept in the first place, and it kind of undermines my relationship with shapers and the way that I've learned to get the good boards is that it takes time and you you get a board you think that you surf a certain way or up to a certain level you try to communicate that with the shaper they give you a board maybe that you see them in the water so they can kind of make their assessments you take it back you communicate more with them you get a new board and it's kind of this long process of refinement and Mm -hmm that's where the value is for me in that kind of relationship so to just get 10 boards which makes it feel almost like there's no value in this thing it makes them feel just transient give me 10 don't like it do like it don't like it kind of like it kind of it it undermines all of the value and the hard work and relationship that goes into my personal experience with getting boards that's kind of a part of it that i don't like where i feel like if i just had any one of those boards and i was forced to surf it for a week I'd find things that I love about it. Yeah. And I'd swap the fins and I'd figure out what goes yeah. and what doesn't go. And that's what I want. You it's not sexy, but. Nah, you're, to- you
1: know, you're, you're totally right in that. Because, you, you know, you're making me bring up how I w- was as a surfer too. And as like, I'd get one board off Murray um, and I'd have to make it work. You know, that one board and, you know, love some parts, hate some parts. But you'd find you'd ride it and you adapt to it and you'd go you know it's a good board and you you'd but exactly i mean when we're in a disposable era i suppose um, and if you're talking the end indiv- of like my goal is as a shaper working with the guy like making boards for myself and making guys boards for just good local guys and having that You know, they're not the top tiers. They're not the – you know, they're just guys around here. They, you know, they surf good and, you know, and just the average kind of guys and having boards go for them instantly, you know. Them coming in and boards – because I want someone who's going to come in and spend $800 on a JS, walk out of there and go out there and go, this board goes unreal. Because that's what it is these days. You know, a lot of people – um don't have access access to a shaper you know and don't have that you know a lot of people are traveling around the world and they're just rocking up and they're just buying a board or local just you know there's so many surfers nowadays that you know they just walk in they want to buy a board they want it there they want it then yeah they don't want to wait they don't even want to wait for a custom they don't want to wait they don't want to they don't want to go through you know a three or four board process to get a good board They just want that. I want to spend the money and I want a good board and that's what I want to do for people. And it's like the team riders, like what you said, grabbing ten boards and I like that one, I don't like that one, you know. I can make, you know, I won't say Joel because Joel just rides anything and everything and everything goes good for him. But you get those guys that are, um, Julian's pretty, very pedantic. Get him a batch. They all look very similar. They're all, you know, but he'll pick, you know, I've got four out of those six that I really like, but two I love, you know, um, and that's kind of where it is. And But that all that information comes back to me and then makes me be able to produce because you've got to think I'm a manufacturer of, you know, a, a surfboard brand that sends boards all over the globe. I want every single one of those boards that goes into a store to go for that person. I don't want someone to go in there and spend six hundred, eight hundred, a thousand dollars, depending on where they are in the world, and go, "This thing sucks." Right. You know, um, and which I don't really get that. You know, because I've put all that time. You know, there's a lot of time, effort, R and D, you know, it's been years and years of development. And it's not just shaping; it's like laminating processes and seeing like all that quality, like everything that goes together to make a surfboard. There's so many moving parts. It's not know people i don't know if people even realize how much goes into the process of making a board and every one of those stages has to fit perfectly to get a, the perfect board yeah yeah you
0: mentioned julian uh are you building boards for him this year yeah uh exclusively or does he get boards from anybody else uh, he's
1: julian's been exclusive to that's like a js um to or the tractor brand for this to be going on his fourth or fifth year
0: okay Yep. Um, he's a guy who should have won a world title by now. I mean, yep. by any measure, he's an yep. unbelievable surfer. Always right up in the mix. What's it going to take for him to win a world title, in your opinion? Just be Julian. I mean, if you put it all on paper, all of his skill sets, he should win every year. So what? what's the missing link?
1: Um, you'd have to ask him that. I think that when you want something so bad... It sometimes interferes, you know. You're so heavily invested and involved and it hurts. Um, you know, it, you want it so much that I think that can just get in the way of relaxing. I think Ju- Julian's a different person. I think Julian's a different Julian now to when I first met him. Um, you know, wife, Ash and, and daughter, Olivia... I reckon he's a different. He's calm. He's very calm. And Julian being calm could be Julian being dangerous. Mm. Yeah.
0: When you say um, you can want it too bad, he showed up at Snapper last year not wanting it. I mean, with the injury, not even planning to compete, just kind of showed up without training, any of that, and then won the event.
1: Look what, yeah, and look what happens. So. That the the... Wanting to win and then the opposite side of it going I don't even know if I should even be surfing You know with the injury that he that he had and um, He technically probably shouldn't have even been in that event no. um, And after watching him go through his second round heat Nearly been getting beaten by Mikey February um, and, what Jul- and, and just seeing Julian just I saw the pain that he was in And he just overcome it you know bounce back he had he's got good crew in his corner and i saw you know his brothers and and his family and and the people around him and just went come on mate you pick yourself up you can do it Mm -hmm. and watched him go on and hold the trophy at the end of it yeah i used to question whether or not having
0: a kid having the wife like bringing them on tour was a good thing or a bad thing because one side of the coin is it's a distraction like if you Want to win a world title, focus on the world title like Kelly did all those years. But Joel changed the game. Like, Joel, I feel like, did everything successful in the family and kind of having something to take your mind off competitive surfing
1: elevated his game. Definitely. You know, know, everyone works differently. Okay. I mean, obviously, you know, who knows what goes on in that mind of Kelly Slater's, you know, but whatever it was that he was driven and he won – no greatest surfer of all time someone like joel parkinson he succeeds having those distractions having mon and all the kids around him and not even thinking joel doesn't even think about surfing doesn't even think about so he surfs a lot but he doesn't think about surfing heats and you know stuff like that in the downtime you know game on when he walks into that um into the conness site and the competitors area and it's yeah he's he's an animal um but outside of that you know we're you know doing going and looking at stuff you know because i'd traveled a lot with him my wife and my kids and, and family and stuff so i think we just distract him and he has a good time and you know he's just not thinking about it so i think that balanced. works and it, it balanced, but he's also as you said he's paved the way for a lot of these other guys um You know, you look at Adrian Buck and now, you know, a lot of the guys have taken their families, um, you know, it's like, you know, yeah, it's like massive big family tour now. Gabriel Medina, Felipe Toledo.
0: They're all, yeah. But it's a more balanced life, but it also feels more sustainable. Like how could you live at the level of intensity that Gabriel's living at for more than five years? Yeah. You're going to burn out. Yeah, that's right. So you have to figure out a way to kind of do it for a decade or
1: and you that's, you know, that's interesting because I think that outside of Kelly, I think that this has been a lot of those guys' success because, you know, even probably now as more money's coming into surfing, and well, was in surfing and, and financially viable for them to travel the world with their families, like if they had to, you know, if they've got wives and kids staying at home because they can't afford it, I reckon that's just – I can't see that. That's a bigger distraction. That's a bigger distraction because you just, you know, yeah.
0: Well, Kelly, it's interesting, even though he won 11, I don't feel like he was living with the same level of intensity that Gabriel does or Adriano even. Yeah. Because he has a diverse set of interests. Yeah. Kelly has all sorts of things in his life, even before these businesses of the last five years. He's just interested in life as a whole. And when he's traveling... He's staying with families in local places yeah. that he's developed for 20 and 30 years. Yeah. So even that gives you a more balanced lifestyle than just going to your hotel room and studying the heats yeah, over and correct. over again. You know?
1: Luke Egan was one of the first guys that I, I traveled with um, as I started building his boards. And Luke was that. Luke was a solo, you know, didn't have family or anything back then. He was just a competitor. And you're right he he stayed with families all over the world all the people that i got to meet through luke were family you know like family people yeah um and he'd stay in there and they take him in and he'd stay with that and he'd do so he probably had these this global family but families away from you know home that distracted him and yeah. and stuff like that so luke himself we weren't you know, we never ever stayed in a hotel or did anything like that we were just staying with friends and and of his all over the world and you know they were all had kids or they had you know stuff going on and um you're right you know that that was getting them through you know
0: it's like having home court advantage everywhere you go yeah that's
1: right you just feel comfortable and the and the smart competitors and those guys who were successful like Kelly and Luke um and that did had that had a home court everywhere, yep. so they felt they yeah. So that was that's definitely a key key to success. I think so. Um, too. If there's any young guys coming up through the CT and the other QS and that, and they can and they if they're smart enough and get out and find that same kind of you know vibe, um, they'll do all right. I think so. Uh,
0: back to the conversation about scaling a business and missteps. Can you tell me about Kinetic Racing Co? Yeah. What is Kinetic or what?
1: and what was kinetic what was kinetic
0: um what was the idea behind it and where did it
1: go well a lot of the a lot of the fins i were developed i developed as when glass ons were glass you know there was no such thing or or fcs had just come in so i'd spent a lot of time working with a local fin manufacturer down south they were saw fins they were the best glass on fins in the world at the time and Working on templates and doing stuff um, with them, and developing fins for my boards. So when uh, when the fin system thing came along, the FCSs and those guys had were grabbing fin templates off already exist like shapers. Right. So FCS had a whole range of fins that were already designed and developed by shapers. You know. Um, so at a certain point I went, you know what i've i'd met fin manufacturers in china and gone on that and went i'm just going to make my own i'm going to use my templates and make my own fins to go in in these boxes and that was where kinetic racing come from so um obviously had all the team and all the team had their own fins so it was a pretty walk-up start uh to have to start a fin company um back then FCS 2 got smart enough um, you know to, to redesign their plugs and redo what they did today and it was no point in even continuing on there because that plug for one was I think is probably the best plug in the world I mean to put a set of fins in be able to put a set of fins in no screws no nothing click in click out and you know especially for me like R&D i take I can take 5-6 boards down the beach and one set of fins, you know, because I use pretty much this one set of fin to test all my boards and I know that that's how it works. Or on the other side of the coin, I can take down one board and four sets of fins, you know. So it was I, – I think that's that system that they came up with, whoever did come up with that, um, it was that's, – that's a good system. Sure. And, and as I said, there's no – the patents and all the stuff, the work that they did – um in protecting that they did a really good job and i commend them on it so you know no one can just come along now and just make an fcs2 fin and and get away with it um yeah but we had a good run yeah had a good run we saw the gap in the market and we got had a a good following with that that was a good little business run for a while and and uh yeah
0: did it um would, do you have any consternation or questions internally about closing that business? Why not adapt the model or design your own plug system? You're making enough boards, you could design your own plugs
1: and find um, with it. I think, because we did, when we looked at that uh, the plug that FCS had bought out, and then we went, oh, okay, well, let's look at doing that. And I went to our little team and I went, why would we, when I, we think that's the best plug that we've seen in the market um i'm not going to spend the time there was already other plugs out there there's systems and stuff like that there was finless and there was a bunch of other stuff and everyone sort of went well fcs has done that and everyone came to me with all their plug ideas and stuff you guys run with it you guys run with it like they got it off the ground and they're like you take it over you now do it and we'll just get a royalty or whatever off it and looked at everything like that, and looked at designing our own plugs. And at the end of the day, I just thought what FCS had was a really good product. Um, And I backed it. Good.
0: Yeah, but at the end of the day, you had a business that you invested a lot of time, energy and resource and that you then shutter. What are the lessons learned from that experience?
1: Um, it was good to find a gap it was good to have the time frame that we did with it because it was another little add-on there was nothing negative about it and and even um winding it down it was like i suppose i felt lucky and fortunate enough to be and smart enough to have been able to do that do it at the time frame that we did and we were successful for however long we did it for and when something's up it's up you know, no right. use, no use. And I suppose that's one of those, some people might just keep pouring money into developing and doing all this stuff. And, you know, when when times, I don't know, I'm not someone to just keep chipping, I don't know. I just went, it's done. Good. We're done, we're over. That's the lesson And move straight on. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, yeah.
0: That's a lesson learned is yep. um, every brand has a life cycle yeah i mean period yeah you know like some of them are 100 year life cycle and it seems like they've yeah. been around forever but it's important to be able to understand where the exit is
1: yeah i suppose recognizing you know rec- just a lot of people i'd say let ego their ego get in the way um or and or some kind of attitude that they have towards something and feel like they it's a necessary fight yeah. um or they don't want to be you no, they just don't want to let go yeah and uh I just drop just see a, yeah good. like that good you know um
0: I'm curious what surf media do you follow nowadays
1: um I'll watch the CT contest oh <laughs> if I've got uh some guys surfing like I you know the boys in at the Newcastle contest and I'll i'm reminded of their heats are on i'll, I'll get and watch their heats um and no i don't i no don't magazines no magazines no yeah i don't really look at it at all um every now and again one of my my general manager paulie every now and again he'll go i'll oh, check out this stab article or something like that it's interesting and every now and again i'll read something that you know my is a pretty interesting character um and I've known Matt for a long time and I'm always interested to hear what he has. To, he's pretty, you know, straight to the point and I really like it about him. Um, he does some interesting and says some interesting stuff. So if, if I know that Matt's got something said, you know, he's on STAB or he's put something somewhere, I'll have a read of it just to see what his take is on because he's pretty um, forthcoming about the industry as a whole. So, but other than that, unless there's something... You know of interest i don't really follow anything interesting
0: yeah times have changed (laughs) yeah yeah uh compared to my youth and probably yours too where it's like you absorb every
1: bit of surf content that comes out yeah yeah Yeah, I, i mean i remember you know when i was younger and maybe that's just the longevity within the industry that you know i've been involved in it and now it's just you know um
0: we're oversaturated a yeah bit.
1: oversaturated you know when you're a grommet you like couldn't wait for the latest like here it was um tracks magazine or surfing world you know you like you'd wait you'd pretty much be down at the news agent waiting knowing mm-hmm. that that magazine was coming out when's that coming out when's it coming out and that was more about seeing you know as a surfer especially me stuck on a strapback island it's like it was opening yourself up to the world, seeing like there's more to the, you know, surfing in the world. And, and back then it was, you know, all those, you know, the, for us, I suppose it was rabbits and all those guys and whatever it was um, back in the mags then. But nowadays it's just um, far out. I'm so far from <laughs> wanting to see anything about, so, you know. It's like right so.
0: on your phone if you need it. It's right there. Yeah. You can see everything around yeah. the world.
1: Um, yeah. Like, it, I guess, like I said, it's I'll watch the CTs um, for the boys that I make boards for just to make sure, see how they're going and stuff like that. But other than that, I'm probably at the contest, you know, anyway. Um, yeah.
0: What uh, up-and-coming shapers do you have an eye on right now? Anything? No.
1: None? No, I don't. Um, I couldn't tell you. I honestly couldn't tell you what's coming who's coming what's coming um i don't even know if there is uh to be honest yeah
0: do you ride any other
1: shaper surfboards definitely not really yeah definitely not why not um i spend all my time you know just developing my own stuff i'm like i don't I just want, if I want to make something, I make it and I ride it and I try it. And, I mean, don't get me wrong that I don't know what's going on in the market. Like, I, I look at everything. Obviously, we've got global distribution. Um, we've got, you know, reps on roads in America. And we I do all that. You know, I just travelled the East Coast here. And I go into stores. I look at everything that's being made and see what brands are doing what. And you hear about, you know hear you know retailers going oh this board from this brand's going good and stuff like that and then you do have a look at that you know you look at what's going you know in certain especially you know australian brand a brand i want to know what's going on in the us and who's doing what and i mean i know matt's brought out um this asymmetrical stuff like that so you know you're hearing about it and seeing it and stuff like that so um i'm more interested in in that because then I can I can go "Oh, oh we've already got a version of that anyway or stuff like that but I'm more into um my own designs and my own shapes and riding that you know so there's only so many hours in a day and I probably don't ride and get to test as many boards I've had um I'm bringing out a new flaming pony and i've got like i've built myself six of them and i think i've ridden two um i mean obviously conditions have been pretty good around here so i haven't had that opportunity but you know i have a hard enough time trying to get and get through my own stuff let alone go out and run someone else's board yeah yeah
0: it's not enough it's, i mean i don't know about you i surf less and less nowadays yeah it's harder to yeah. actually yeah ride everything even me it's harder to ride all the boards that i get access yeah. to
1: and and. I mean, as a like, I've got so many from performance models all the way through to the you know boards for the worst conditions in the world, and then we've got the hi fi program, and we're redeveloping you know, and when then we've got all this already existing stuff that I continue to keep writing just, right. just to keep make sure that you know it it is what it is, and, and it just keeps it like that's whatever i've put into the market if i made a black box three and um that's the benchmark i'll go back and ride the black box two and keep telling myself that that board the new board's better than the old board and you know there's so much in it um you're always testing something and then there's all the new stuff that's coming so you're constantly shaping something new writing something new playing around especially with materials now there's so many more materials uh, like we developed this hi-fi product and now you know we're continually looking at just ways to make better boards and stuff like that so there's so much coming in the process and it's busy yeah You're the hi-fi
0: busy. is um different types of fibers other than fiberglass yeah what exactly is
1: the um it's a different construction stringless eps core got it um and then obviously hi-fi being hybrid fibers so we've just used you know, carbons and the negras and a multiple, multiple combination, um, multi-layering process throughout. Yeah, just a different way to make it. Um, and that's been really successful. And, and I suppose you don't really realise how – like I know we we make a lot of them and we're selling a lot to stores and stuff like that. But when you walk off, go going there's waves and you go in to any little break around here – and there's five or six of them in the water and they're everywhere yeah. and you're like you know and guys like i had a japanese guy the other day at snapper i, I, I thought he knew me he's like jazz, yes, yes. jazz. i was like yeah how are you going he's like, best boy whatever mate best board. And i was looking at him and going i don't even know you that's amazing. and i was like yeah you know that's and that's the sort of stuff that what i was saying before it's like that guy's gone into a store spent his money and come and said that's this is one of the best boards I've ever ridden. I'm like that's what I do this for. That's awesome. What do you read? Everything. Um, What's
0: your go-to though?
1: <laughs> depends on the time of the year. Okay. Yeah. Um, lately, and it depends on what I'm, I'm I want to be doing. You know, like I said, I'm I'm bringing out this new little flaming pony, and it's you know it's just a small wave grovel something for people to have fun on when it's you know one to two foot conditions that most of us have to surf after work before work we don't like you know when you don't have that luxury um of being at the right time in the right place you know so that's been what i've been testing lately and then before that it was twin fins um just bought out a twin fin the black baron um spend a lot of time myself jet the Little team, like let's go. My little admin, team like myself, Paul stacy Craig scat Pitches. Um, there's a f- crew like who run this business. We all surf and we surf a lot, um, and we all R and D stuff first before I go to the joels and Julian's and stuff. So, well, I've got this little, you know, Paul and I surf and I hang together pretty much every day. So, we have this little. We just may I make boards. We go on R and D. Um, um and if i'm not surfing he's probably surfing or something like that so we have this little process that gets us you know through this own deep process pretty quick and then we'll put it out to the team and stuff so i get to ride a lot of boards in it but it's pretty much it's more um you know start not staged but more thought out you know Mm -hmm. it's like because i want to build something i want to build something for the market so um yeah what? Flaming Pony now, Twin Fin before that, Black Box 3 before that.
0: Okay. What was the last surfboard that you rode?
1: The last surfboard that I rode is something that I can't even talk about yet because <laughs> it's coming out in the market soon. <laughs> so, it, well, it may come out in the market. Um, it's it's something new. It's techno, it's not. It's EPS, and it's got an outer layer. So it's something new that I've been working on for some time. That was actually the last surfboard I rode, but... As that as far as the design goes, it's um it's a black box three, yeah that's the last board that I rode.
0: In what conditions and what size did you ride?
1: And it was two to two to three foot. This perfect little bank just up north of us here, where from where we're sitting, um, it was dusty. Payne had just turned up to do some get some boards and do some testing so it was dusty myself and paul stacy that were out there testing some boards
0: awesome what's dusty's plan for 2019 Requalify. cool yeah awesome yeah i hope he does
1: yeah so do i <laughs> i mean he, he dusty's like uh you know he's a top tier surfer he could be competing for world titles he's he's one of those guys like julian who's got everything you know he, him and julian are Uh, have some similar a lot of similarities in a way like just have such an arsenal you know they can do anything on at any time on any wave um and dusty's on the qs good you know
0: is volcom still backing yep good i love to see that when somebody goes through hardship injury or whatever and they're kind of out of the scene for a year or two it's a big commitment for a brand to get behind and support for the long term so i I'm always glad to see when they do. Yeah, it's like a real partnership. I
1: commend those companies who do do who stick by them because a lot of companies don't. You know, um, like there's some, and I mean I can understand it's not the market and and like the surf industry itself is not what it was. Yeah. Um, it's definitely tightened up a lot, um, and you know there's some really good, uh, there's some really good surfers who just got no stickers you know no support um and i mean there's one kid that comes to mind at the moment for me and is reef hazelwood and he's probably seen, done some of the best surfing i've seen and some of the best footage and some of the best photos and he's an amazing surfer and you know he doesn't have a sticker on his board um so but you know that kid will not give up he keeps going and someone will end up putting their money where their mouth is and that kid will be a, you know, a success story come later so um, and as you said you know, going back to Dusty it's good to see um, a company like Vulcan just stick by him, you know, and he's deserved of it totally he's, he's an amazing amazing surfer amazing person um, and yeah he's a top tier athlete awesome well Jason thank you so much thank you sure. cheers cheers
0: Since recording this conversation, Reef Hazelwood has actually been picked up by Hurley. So great call, JS. Everything we discussed is available, of course, on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Photos of Jason recording this interview in our hotel room, um, photos of his boards, for, uh, photos and videos of all the guys and girls riding his boards, all that stuff. Surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with a comment section for you to leave a note for Jason. And I also implore you to rate and review this show in Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever it's called, and, uh, and or whatever app you listen in. Here's a recent one-star review from June 13th from somebody named FLNSB who wrote, quote, once again, could not listen. Six minutes of intro. Six minutes later, I turned it off. Profanity really shows a lack of vocabulary, end quote. Thanks for that insight, FLNSB. I'll try to work on that. Anyway, rating and reviewing the show helps strangers find it. And if you don't, FLNSB will. And then that becomes the truth for everyone else to see. So thanks for doing that. And um, I posted a new episode of Spit with Scott Bass yesterday. So go grab that. Enjoy the rest of the Corona Open, J-Bay I'll be back next week with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor. Until then, this is David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.